This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is Season 7, and every week during this season, we'll bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together like-minded organizations who are focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker, and this podcast aims at doing just that. Before we get into today's session, I want you to know about an ebook called Multiplying Disciples by Winfield Bevins, which discipleship.org released in partnership with Exponential. Multiplying Disciples draws wisdom from church history by looking at several important disciple-making movements, the Celtic movement, the Moravian movement, and the Methodist movement. These movements offer vital contributions to the church that can help you Rediscover the power of making and multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. Author Winfield Bevins is the director of church planting at Asbury Theological Seminary. Download his ebook, Multiply Disciples, at discipleship.org slash ebooks, or click on the link of the show notes for this episode. Today's featured episode is from Exponential and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum, called Mobilize Disciples by Multiplying Disciples. It's called, Is Your Leadership Limiting Your Church to Addition? Featuring Jason Stewart and Todd Wilson. All right, we're going to get started. Can everybody hear me okay? I have this problem. My name's Todd Wilson. I'm the founder of Exponential. I am an engineer by trade before going into ministry full-time. I love whiteboards. We're going to use the whiteboard. And I can't do a handheld and write on the chalkboard at the same time. So... Uh, chalkboard, the whiteboard. Yeah, my calling is rooted in a. I, I was at age twelve. I was sitting in chemistry class. There were no whiteboards. There's chalkboards only, and the chemistry teacher was drawing a picture of an atom, and neutrons, protons, electrons flying around. And I went home that day and told my. I was mesmerized. I went home and told my parents, "I'm going to be a nuclear engineer." And then everything else was in the way. So. Uh, um, I am uh, here with Jason Stewart. Jason's our COO at Exponential. I'm the founder. Jason's our COO. Um, we are activists for church multiplication. So everything we do at Exponential is about church multiplication. Um, the link to disciple making is a couple of things. Um, I have the blessing of being the co-founder of discipleship.org with Bobby Harrington. Um, we realized a number of years ago our mission at Exponential Uh, is to see multiplication become normative in the church. What we're going to talk about in this first session is multiplication is not the normative measure of success in the church. And so if if I start with church planting, um, sociologists will tell you that you've got to get about 16% of a population behaving a certain way, and then everyone else will follow. So if I could get 16% of you, about 16 of you in the room, Quacking like a duck is the way you're communicating. The rest of you would probably follow suit. And so our mission at Exponential, right now, about 7% of churches in the United States, we did a study with LifeWay earlier this year, only 7% of U.S. churches ever reproduce. So 93% of churches are not reproducing or multiplying. So if you come back to that 16% number, 7% of U.S. churches are reproducing we need our mission at Exponential. We will shut down our ministry when 16% of churches are reproducing. That's our target at Exponential. We got to get to 16%. Now, here's the problem 
all multiplication movements around the world are rooted in disciple-making movements. So our livelihood at Exponential is completely based on what the disciple-making community does. If we want to see church multiplication happening, we've got to see disciple-making happening. Does that make sense? So that's why we help co-found discipleship.org, because we can't be successful at church multiplication if we don't get the disciple-making part uh, clicking. The second reason that we're on the front row of the uh, of this conversation of disciple-making, um, if you haven't already noticed it, if you're not feeling it, if you're not seeing it, then you need to look a little bit harder that church is being deconstructed in the United States right before our eyes. And it's happening at an accelerating pace. And over the next decade, church in a decade isn't going to be what, what you know it to be right now. And here's the question. As the deconstruction continues at a rapid pace, just picture a house. The house starts to burn down, and what's left is some kind of foundation to rebuild on. The question that's going to increasingly be the question over the next decade is that foundation for rebuilding. Is that foundation going to be built on Jesus, and is it going to be built on disciple-making? Because if we don't rebuild and reconstruct church in the U.S. on those things, we're not going to get where we're just going to keep producing culture. The stats you heard in the first session, that is why church is being deconstructed. Because the results we're getting, what we are producing in Christianity is cultural Christianity. And so just we're not God, but put yourself in the like the deconstruction of the church that's happening is because of the, the way we're stewarding church things. Does that make sense? Now, I don't want to sound all doom and gloom. To give you some background, I came out of the marketplace about 20 years ago. I am on staff at a church. I, I've been on staff for about 20 years now. Uh, we're a very strong church planting church. We've planted 280-some churches. I'm, I am the missionary to church planting of our church, and out of that capacity got to start Exponential and work on a number of other things. So as I'm talking about church and deconstructing and problems with church, I don't want you to think I'm some theorist that's throwing darts at the church. I love the church. I came out of the marketplace, and my calling is into the church. So the stuff we're going to talk about today isn't a, let's throw darts at the church. It really is, um, let's roll up the sleeves and uh, think about it. So here's how I want to start. We're going to, uh, I promise that in the whole hour we're together, if you're an introvert, this will be the only two minutes of discomfort for the next two minutes. And then I'm not going to pick on you even for the debriefing part. My wife is an extreme introvert, so she's probably getting angry right now that I'm even going to give you this assignment. So um, here's what I want you to do. Who's heard of a sunset clause before? Sunset clause. Okay, here's what a sunset clause is. Let's, let's pretend that somebody in this room is a billionaire, a sunset clause is what really wealthy folks do when they're looking at their legacy beyond after they die. We, they have to make a decision. Are we going to create a foundation that then has to propel itself indefinitely into the future? Or are we going to put a sunset clause in place, which is we're going to mandate that within 30 years, the resources are spent in a positive way and not spent on propelling things. Is that making sense? Yeah. Peter Drucker, the father of modern management, said, rarely in the history of mankind can you find an institution with a sustaining impact greater than 30 years. So here's what we're going to do for two minutes. I want you to pretend for a minute 
that um, whether it's the church you're at or a church you're going to start, there is now a sunset clause on your church, meaning you have 30 more years to go and your church shuts down. Does that make sense? So here's the thing. In one year from now, you're going to get all your people together and you're going to celebrate what's happened in the last year and you're going to say, we got 29 more years to go. What are we going to do? In two years from now, you're going to get together and celebrate what you've done in two years. We've got 28 more years to go. Get the picture? So what I want you to do is with the person next to you, pretend there's a sunset clause in place, and how will it change your scorecard? How will it change how you're doing church? How will it change how you spend your money? How will it change how you staff? How will it change how you think about church? If you know, and, and let me just give you the context, pick three of the churches that you really would be like, like, like to be like. Maybe it's an Andy Stanley, maybe it's a Craig Rochelle, maybe it's this church that we're in. I got really bad news for you. If history repeats itself, there is not one church from 2,000 years ago that is still around. Peter Drucker's comment, things go in 30-year cycles, Less than 1% of churches survive more than 75 years. You might get 75 years instead of 30. But here's the reality. This church, as hard as it is to imagine, probably won't be here in 75 years if history keeps repeating itself. So why is it that we spend so much time and energy trying to propel the legacy of the church forward? So I want you to think for the next two, two minutes sunset clause on the church you're in or the church you're getting ready to start and how would it impact things when we come back in two minutes i am going to ask a few people just to share what you're the, the, you know rapid fire some things go two minutes
I'm okay if we actually spend the whole hour talking about the legacy thing. So um, let's hear from a, some of the groups, like what, how does it change how you think about church, how you change the scorecard, how you change the strategy? Let's just hear a few things. This is where the extroverts do get to do their thing. Oh. <laughs> Unless there's a really courageous introvert. I think that there's a lot less uh, investment in Sunday morning experience. Okay, less investment in Sunday morning. What else? You're more intentional. Uh, with pretty much everything you do, uh, thinking through, praying through, strategizing, as opposed to week after week, month after month, doing what you know you've always done. How would it affect prayer? (laughs) We're going to hear as things go on in the main stage more and more about the importance of prayer. Let me suggest to you, um, if you've got 30 years, 29 years, 28 years, how many of those years are you going to spend on capital campaigns? None. But let me ask you this. What are you going to do for facilities? Let me suggest that the prayer changes from God, help us raise $4 million or $10 million to God, give us a facility. You start praying to be given a facility, not to figure out how to build the facility. That makes sense? What else? What else changes? People development. What, how would it change your people development? Uh, well, being intentional, like you said, and specifically developing leaders that can then carry, you know, they can uh, help break beyond the threshold that you know you might have as an individual leader. Mm-hmm. We had uh, out of our two hundred and eighty some church plants at our church, one of our church planters who was on staff with us. We we typically, for a high capacity leader, put some good money into church plants and a bunch of things. We had a leader who we wanted to plant with but wasn't necessarily in the typical profile to get hundreds of thousands of dollars to plant the church. And he wrestled with the sunset clause that he was going to go plant a church and he wrestled with the sunset thing. And he said, you know what? I might not ever have a church over 500, but I'm, I'm not going to count attendance. I'm going to count how many total people we send, whether it's a planter, a team member. And here's what happened. They, started creating a culture where the first person they sent, they celebrated, number one. The second person, number two. The third person, fourth person, then teams of people started going. Here's what happened. This church is 300 and some people at the time, and now they have sent 115 people to be involved in other churches. If you add up the collective attendance of the 115, it's amazing. Okay, but here's what subtly happened in in that scenario. If you're someone who's part of the church and there's a celebration of the first and the second and the third and the 15th and the 17th, what happens in your mind? What number am I going to be? What number am I going to be? So 
Here's what I want you to take away from this part of the exercise. Church is being deconstructed before our eyes. We have a decision to make of what the future of reconstruction looks like. And when I say deconstruction, I don't mean your church has to die. To re- I'm saying we've got to figure out in this next generation what do things look like. And the things that have gotten us to where we are aren't, get, aren't working. They're not just not going to get us where we need to go. They're increasingly not working. We've got to start thinking with a different paradigm like what this sunset clause does for us. All right, we're going to jump in. Um, I'm going to use the whiteboard some, so I apologize in advance. Um, I want you to think about seasons and cycles. So this whole idea, when you think about a, a life cycle, let's just take the human like, you know, somebody is born, they grow, there's some kind of plateau and there's some kind of decline to death. Businesses go through this cycle, the human body goes through this cycle, plants go through this cycle, uh, churches go through this cycle. If we're going to, if we're going to now, I, I want to talk math because what we're going to talk about is the difference in addition versus reproduction versus multiplication. So look what you get. In a typical life cycle, there's always an addition part, there's a subtraction part, and there's a plateau part. If, if we were doing a math lesson here, if there's any math teachers, these are the three irreducible core elements of math. They make up life cycles, all of them. Addition, subtraction, plateau. You don't go from addition to subtraction without going through plateau. You don't go from subtraction to addition without going through plateau. If you, Ecclesiastes 3, without ever saying math, everything has a season. Go read through the first 15 verses in Ecclesiastes. Here's what you will see. There's a positive, there's a negative. There's a positive, there's a negative. Life is a life cycle. Does that make sense? And, and the church goes through it. Here's the only question, that, and, and if we look what happens in the church, this will be the last math thing I maybe give. Um, there is a thing in math called an asymptote so here's a line and most things in life when they're starting to do this they come up to the line and the only question we desperately want them to break out and go above the, the barrier most things hit the line and then go back down that making sense? Now, here's what happens in church growth theory. Guess what? There's a 100 barrier. And if we're fortunate enough, the average church in America is 92 people. It hits this, and it's only a, the only question is how long is it going to run flatline before it eventually goes down its curve? That's the average church in America at 92. Some churches break out. And guess what's waiting for them? 200. <laughs> now there's a 200 barrier some of those a few not many break out and guess what's waiting for them the 500 barrier there's always another barrier the entire church consulting industry in the United States is built on these barriers it's why you do a capital campaign it's why you hire a search firm it's why you hire the marketing company it's what's the silver bullet to the next breakout and the only question is are we just look, this is the up part of the curve the only question is when are we finally going to not break the next one and eventually 
I'm not trying to be negative for you, but you've got to take away that if your church is like every other church in the history of Christianity, there will be a downside (laughs) that's going to lead. And we've got to think beyond the downside. Mm -hmm. Okay? I would hope that, that the takeaway from this exercise is the future legacy of your church is not what you accumulate and build and leave behind. It is the people that you invest in that you propel forward. It, it's, that's going to be the, the deal. Any questions on this so far? All right. Um, let me go to... Now, we're, we're just going to take the three basic things of math. And here's the thing with math. <laughs> All of you, if, I, if you look at this graph... It, symbolically, you might have a slightly different word, growth, addition, but this graph, whether you're from Japan, China, England, the United States, this graph means addition. Again, there might be words like flatline, plateau, stuck, but there's your plateau, and then there's your uh, decline. So here's what we did um, If I come back to this mission of seeing the percentage of churches get to 16% that are reproducing, we had to decide a few years ago at Exponential, well, how are we going to know? Like, we've got to have some framework for measuring where are the 350,000 churches in America relative to this behavior, okay? So we we believed kind of just roughly the Pareto principle in life says that 80% of results come from 20% of something. So we were kind of just guessing that, well, maybe 80% of churches are stuck or declining and 20%. We've now done two different national research studies with independent LifeWay, one, and then another company. Both of those studies this past year, here's what you get. Um, 30% of churches, 35% of churches, 35% of churches. That make sense? Um, so 70% of churches at any given time are plateaued or declining. And again, we, it's, it's the season of life. Maybe they're going to come back up, maybe not. 30% are in the, in the growth kind of orientation. Uh, while he's erasing, let me say, um, if you go to exponential.org forward slash ebooks, exponential.org forward slash ebooks, we have over 100 different free ebooks and resources. Everything I'm talking about today is in a book called Multipliers. It's an orange book. If you go to that website, it's a free download. Uh, Oh, you can just do slash multipliers. So you can go to exponential.org forward slash multipliers. And it's an entire full-length book, free download, and everything I'm talking about today, including pictures, are are in it. Um, So what, what we did was said, okay, if you think of those three mathematical concepts, so here's subtraction so we'll put a minus sign here Uh, here's addition and then here's plateau we just simply called this level one level two and level three and the reason we, we gave the numbers is we're interested in reproduction and multiplication. So think for a minute, 
where does, if these are the basic elements of math, subtraction, plateauing, adding, where does reproduction multiplication fit there? And here's what I want to suggest to you, just pure, you know, there's not a formula in the Bible for it, but mathematically, God's the author of math. He authored these three things. Let's just assume reality. There's also another element called reproducing, and then a fifth called multiplying. Okay, if I'm going back to, you know, the graph again is something going down with time and subtraction, something flatlined and plateau, something going up in addition. Reproducing is, is an accelerated up compared to addition, and multiplication is ex- it's the one you get two out of one, four out of two. It's going up at a, an even accelerated rate. Does that, does that make sense? <coughs> so here's what we discovered. A church, 100% of churches are in level one, two, and three. Every single church has a core characteristic of a subtraction culture, a plateauing culture, an adding culture. And then what the LifeWay study found is that 7% of those churches, wherever they are at level one, two, or three, 7% are reproducing, 0% in the United States are multiplying. So 7% total, we just call this at exponential level four and then level five. If, if you want to get handles for level five, it's movements. When you think about movements is, is where we get to, the, uh, uh, to there. So let me, let me press in um, addition, reproduction, multiplication. I want to talk the, the actual differences. So... Let's say I've got this marker, and I put that marker, I'm going to add that marker to the table. So I have no markers, one marker, zero plus one is one. Everybody got, that's adding. I've added a marker. What happens if I take a second marker? I'm going to be careful with the words I use to not bias things. So I take this marker, and I put it on the table. What have I done? I've added one more. And don't miss this. Three-year-olds anywhere in the world understand that. One plus one is two. If I have one marker or one of anything, and I, with an external action, put another one on the table, one plus one is two. I have not reproduced the first marker. That's right. Does that make sense? I've not reproduced it. I've put another one on the table. Now, if somehow I can put this marker on the table and it can do what the human egg does when it's fertilized or cells do when they're multiplying, somehow I can do the, that marker reproduces itself or transforms itself from one into two. What have I done? I have, repro- I have not, somebody said multiply, we're gonna get the multiply. And this is really important to understand. Let's just stick with the mathematics, which then will fit the Bible narrative, okay? I have not multiplied that marker. I have only reproduced that marker right now. Getting that, and I'll explain in a minute the difference. So here's the thing not to miss. Um, 
I can add, I can take another marker and do one plus one is two. I can add without reproducing. It is physically impossible to reproduce one into two without adding. You, you gotta get that, that I can add without reproducing, but I can't reproduce without adding. So if you were gonna build a strategy for, for, for increasing numbers, you would always choose the path of reproduction, right? To give you a foretaste of the next, the second session that we're gonna do, um, Jesus' style of disciple making, where a disciple makes a disciple, makes a disciple, makes a disciple, that's reproduction. The church in the West, how do we add in the church in the West? Not by disciple making, we add programmatically. Killer good worship events, Sunday morning. Uh, we, we add programmatically. And let me ask you this. What program in the history of the world has reproduced itself? Programs do not reproduce. Programs consume. And that's why when your primary mechanism for addition is a programmatic addition... Programs can only consume, they can't reproduce. And it's why we've got to get back to Jesus' style of disciple-making as the primary core method of addition. Because if we do disciple-making Jesus' way as our primary method of addition in the church, we will be seeing not only increasing numbers, but we're reproducing. Um, Discipleship.org is going to publish a study. Uh, We just did a national study on on disciple-making culture in America. And it's, it's gloomier than the church multiplication number of 7%. Less than 5% of U.S. churches have a disciple-making culture. Over 95% of U.S. churches do not have a disciple-making culture. I would tell you at the core of that is because we do have a programmatic culture. And programs eat everything else for, for lunch kind of thing. And I'm not anti—we need programs. The question is, are programs the primary— mechanism for uh, for addition. So let me take it one step further. Let's say we're actually reproducing. So, yes? You say programs like regular church service? Uh, anything that's program. You're going to start a new student ministry, a new outreach program, a new... Pro, we need programs, so I'm not against programs, but when programs become the primary way that we're adding new converts and then discipling them... That's, that's where we get in trouble. If we took the average church in America right now and could truthfully, truthfully, how did you make your last 10 disciples? The answer would not be by disciples who made disciples. The answer predominantly would be programmatically. We made them by the great Sunday morning thing we were doing, by the women's ministry thing, by the, by the, by the. And I, what I started to say is this discipleship study that we did, here's, here's what's happening um, it's probably the number one finding out of the study. Um, pastors think that everything is discipleship. And if I could, uh, literally, sermon prep time, time driving to church, I mean, literally, it's, it, we have, and the word discipleship's not in the Bible. Like, if I could encourage you to do one thing, abolish the word discipleship from your vocabulary. Disciple-making puts it in the active sense, okay? So make it disciple-making. 
then start weighing the activities in the church through the, the lens of, does this acti- are we making disciples out of this? The, the, the condition of discipleship is a program. Disciple-making is an action. And so that, that just that subtle distinction, we were caught a little bit off guard by how over, I mean, we know pastors always inflate the numbers a little bit. It's radically inflated because pastors can rationalize or justify that almost everything from a board meeting to a something is part of disciple-making. And if, if we could just grab onto that one thing is not the case. How are we doing on time? I just want to make sure we get Okay. Um, so uh, let's talk then that if not all addition is reproduction, but all reproduction is addition. Now let's talk the difference in multiplication. And here's how simple multiplication is, mathematically and biblically. When, when God said to Noah and to Adam, be fruitful and multiply, all we have to do is look at, well, what was the mechanism? Like, what did it mean to be fruitful and multiply? Multiplication happened through addition. Think, think about how the earth was repopulated. It was one at a time. It was addition, but it was done through reproduction. Noah could have said, okay, great, I'm going to be the father of everybody. And he could have built one big family. But God's plan was a family unit where he would have kids, who would have kids, who would have kids. Here's how simple multiplication is. It's reproduction to the fourth generation. If you reproduce four generations into the future, you have multiplication. Now, look at the indictment from the data you heard in the first. We don't have any disciple-making movements in America. We don't have disciple-making or church planting to the fourth generation on a sustained basis. In the church, I can speak more to the church planting side. The study we did on church planting, three out of four church plants in America, three out of four, do not turn around and plant churches. Only one out of four. Now go back to the definition of what's the definition of multiplication. It is when you have healthy reproduction four generations into the future. If in the first generation you cut off three out of four, and in the second generation, you cut off three out of four, and you cut off three out of four. You physically can't get multiplication. You can't get it from what we're doing. So we've got to come back to healthy addition and doing it the right way, which is healthy reproduction. But then it's not just got to be the reproduction. Even in our disciple-making, we've got to be thinking, I'll, I'll indict myself, I invested heavily in my kids, discipling my kids. I wish I would have, and both my kids are great, but I wish I would have then realized, no, it's not about discipling my kids. It's about making disciple makers. Like, are they turning around and making disciples who make disciples who make disciples? And that's sort of the product of the the difference in discipleship, which is this more stagnant programmatic thing versus seeing it as a a lasting thing uh, into the future. And the challenge in that is Bobby Harrington and I were having a conversation six months ago. Um, I don't know my great, great, great grandfather's name. And it's like, okay, 
four generations into the future, let it sink in. Four generations into the future of your family are not going to know your name. If you want to be in, like get serious about disciple making, then like you don't get to carry the the authority of your position as the right. person. I mean, it's it's literally if it's going to be to the fourth generation. Holy cow! We better be intentional. We better put our head down. It's like you know when it when I think about wow, four generations from now they aren't going to know my name. What are they going to know? Only what I can reproduce into the next generation. Does that make sense? And and not just what I can reproduce into the next, but man, I better make it a priority that the next generation is reproducing it into the next. That's where we're losing it in the church. We're not getting it to the, to the multiple. Okay, um, here's what I want to do. I want to diagnose for a minute to help you put something to the angst that you're feeling a little bit. So... Um, does everybody got the picture kind of of the five? It's easier to see them over here. One, two, three, four, five. So subtracting, plateauing, adding, reproducing, multiplying. Um, here's what we realized. About eight years ago, we did a, a thing at Exponential called Future Travelers. Um, we, we kept hearing mega church pastors would tell us, the bigger my church gets, the more lonely I am. And so we... We convened a gathering of 12 megachurch pastors, all of whom were doing some amount of church, but you know all their names. And we got them together with no agenda other than to just kind of retreat, talk about things, and this idea of the church is getting bigger and we're getting more lonely. And so we went around the room with no agenda. Just picture 12 megachurch pastors in a circle in a room. And all we did was said, in all of the domains of your life, your personal life, your family, your community, your church, what is the single biggest burden of your heart right now? <laughs> the first megachurch pastor said, oh, it's easy. I planted my church 20 years ago. By God's grace, we're a megachurch. We've done multi-site. We've done externally focused. We're da, 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 da. He said, and here, almost verbatim, there's not enough years left in my life to just keep growing this thing bigger. I'm interested in how to change the conversation from where's the next one to how do we multiply and take our city? Now, here, here's what he really was saying. We're, we're kind of, we keep hitting something at level three right here. We want to live out here at level four and five. Okay? So we went to the second megachurch pastor, and he said, that's mine. We went to the third now, recognize, they could say marriage problems, kid problems, elder problems. Everything was open game right now. Twelve, uh, 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 the first 11, it was 11 megachurch pastors and then one other person. All 11 megachurch pastors, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. Not one of 11 megachurch pastors had a, a burden bigger than, and, and here's what, the, if you're a matrix person with red pill, blue pill, it was kind of the red pill, blue pill and matrix, or... Here's what they were saying. We've been building this ladder against the wall, climbing this ladder, and the higher up the ladder we get, we're looking around the room realizing, oh my goodness, we built the ladder on the wrong wall. And that caused us to say, wow, 
we better start. Well, let me. We went around the room a second time because these are churches that should be able. They have money. They have people. They have a platform. They have a microphone. They write the books that you all read to figure out how to break those asymptotes earlier. Okay, so they're the ones that are teaching everybody. And we went around the room and said, "Oh my goodness, what then are the biggest barriers that are keeping you from getting over here?" And here's what the first person said. Oh, it's easy. I have an $11.2 million, million building debt. If we start doing this over here and releasing people, the ones who are going to go are the ones paying the building debt. How in the world are we going to pay our mortgage if we're really doing this? The second person, I remember the number. The second person says, oh my goodness, it takes 927 children's workers every week to run our children's ministry. Probably what it takes this church to run, okay? Like 900... How in the world can we get our children's staff to want to release people on their calling out into other things when they can't fill the 927 spots? The third person says, oh, it's easy. Every time we start a church or we start a campus and we're sending somebody, we lose momentum. They end up taking people with them and we lose momentum. So here's what I want you to not miss is... There, if you can picture a giant magnet right here in the middle of this addition piece, what the magnets do, they attract. Okay? And let's just start on this side. This whole subtract, plateau, add. Who wants to subtract or plateau if you can add? The entire success formula for the U.S. church is to get in the pull of this magnet to get over here to level three, okay? What, what's in this magnetic field? Buildings and building debt, great staff, great programs, great marketing, all of the things that all of these churches that got them to be mega church staffs are the things that pull to the magnet. Now look at this. Every magnet goes both ways. Every one of the 11 things they cited that were holding them back were the very things that brought them to here. But then those very things were holding them back from four and five. So what you've got to kind of internalize, and this is where don't go blow up your churches. Like we need to, we need to be looking at new churches that are started. So the answer is not blow everything up and start over. The answer is, there is an operating system over here, though. This level five disciple-making at the core that you're going to be hearing about more and more on the stage, it's a different operating system, though. So you've either got to decide that the way you're going to do it is through the new things that get started or through some piloting, R&D efforts. I just would encourage you not to, don't go try to blow up the operating system that's creating whatever you're doing unless you're starting something brand new. Um, I was telling somebody at dinner last night, my role at Exponential, I hear many stories a year of people who have decided we're not going to keep, we're going to blow up what we're doing to go do this new thing. I can't think of a success story in 15 years at Exponential. A blow up the old to do the new. Now, the benefit of church planting and multiplication is we get, we get to start over. We get the platforms to start over. 
We had a team of national leaders for two years studying this, looking at international, looking, and five of the 20 roughly were prominent church planting churches in America. All, all of those lead pastors were at level four, concluding they weren't going to be able to get to level five. This magnet pole was too strong. I had prominent megachurch pastors saying, at age 60, I think I'm going to have to leave my church and go start a new church to, if I'm going to have any hope of getting out here. And, but all of them concluded, no, 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 we're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're going to start with the new things we start. We're going to start breathing more life into the younger leaders that are doing the next things to, to be pushing there. Is that making sense? Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Sure. Um, yep. All right. Jason is going to talk us through. We realized everything we're talking about here is church so far. But I'm going to suggest to you that we don't actually have a church problem. Everything starts with leadership. So if you start thinking about this kind of mindset at the personal level, like why, why, I mean, if individual pastors were at level four or five themselves, wouldn't our churches be there? So we realize, man, we've got to start focusing on the scorecard of the individual leader applied this way. So Jason's going to walk us through... Um, how we apply this to the... Yeah, so this, anytime you, at least for me, as I sit and contemplate this, it, it creates an angst and, it, and it, it's um, it's a lot of big-headed stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Todd is, I tell people all the time, like, we, Todd's a nuclear engineer not because he's smart, because he actually is. <laughs> like you, so, but this is this is pretty heady stuff, and so it, it, you probably get in the place to say, "What do I do next?" or "What? How do I make this practical?" And that's really what, kind of what I want to guide you through. Of if we want to uh, be lead something that's reproducing and multiplying, we first have to be a re- reproducing and multiplying leader. You guys probably know this saying and, and have been hit hard with it as, it as it's hit me, is what God wants to do through you, he first has to do in you. And that's kind of really maybe uh, some practical five practices, as you see there, of moving from a hero, where I'm the hero of my church or the thing I'm leading as a leader, but moving to a hero maker through five practices, five essential practices that maybe can, uh, like I said, put some practical things, some next steps of what, as Todd was saying, don't don't go blow up what you're doing, but what can you begin to do as the point leader in your context to begin to do practical things to be a multiplying leader? So the first thing um, is multiplication thinking. It, it starts with a shift. And so these are five shifts that I want to walk you through really quick. One is you're shifting from, I think ministry happens through my own leadership. And that's what a hero thinks to where a hero makers. I think ministry happens through multiplied leaders. And um, as Todd said earlier, this, this idea of multiplication thinking starts for us at the very foundation, Genesis 1, right? To be fruitful and multiply. That's what we were created for. And so it's, it's kind of a reimagination for us as the Imago Day of what it looks like to be fruitful and multiply. One of, for me as a disciple maker, one of the core passages is Mark chapter 1, what Jesus said. Uh, what it, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he said, repent and believe in good news. And I think that's, this is that for us, this idea of repentance, to change the way that I'm thinking. So the simple thing is, if you just want, want to boil it down to like a slogan, it's think it. Think about multiplication. Um, 
And then when we begin, as Jesus said, if we first repent and change the way we think, then that begins to change how you and I live. Um, so, you know, we think of um, Acts 1.8, where he says, you will be my witnesses. To say, so if you want to do something kind of, kind of to grind this, in, or grind this into your mind, it's just, you know, point to your brain right now. It's a change in thinking and multiplication thinking. I'm going to try to give you a little uh, movements like this to kind of reinforce the practical nature of becoming a multiplying leader. So it starts first with a, sh- a shift in how we think. The second shift that you're going to see is permission giving. Permission giving. And so the first shift is is how I think and is internal. And this is where these practical steps of becoming a multiplying leader, becoming moving from a hero to a hero maker, begins to interact with the people who um, who you lead, who you influence, and who you can disciple. So a hero says, I see what God can do through my own leadership, where a hero maker shifts to, I see what God can do through others, and I let them know that I see it in them. So if multiplication thinking is this movement, is I think it, multiplication seeing, right, if you want to do that with me, is I see it. And and it's not seeing in myself, but it's seeing in others and seeing what they can do. I think the... um, the, where we see that in Jesus is where he went to those disciples and said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And you know this like I do. That was a pretty radical thing for that ragtag group. They weren't the cream of the crop. Those, the cream of the crop, were disciples of other rabbis at that time. But Jesus went to kind of a dysfunctional group of young men and said, come and follow me. And because he saw something in them. And so the practical very simple step that you and I can begin to do in permission giving is the term I see in you. Those letters, I see in you. Having I see in you conversations with uh, people who you have influence over, seeing what they can be and what they can become and challenging them to be what they can't even see in themselves. And so how many I see in you conversations can you have? I remember... uh, uh, Caleb, a young man in my student ministry back in time where we were, um, you know, we were doing the programmatic thing. But I remember walking up to him and um, we had we brought someone in and um, who was speaking and and just our students were loving. And I remember walking up to him that night and just speaking in his ears like, that's going to be you one day. And at that point, he was about six two, towering over me. He looked at me like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, what are you? But today. He is leading a student ministry in Texas at a, at a size church like this. Not, not that that's success, but that, that because it's large, but he is giving his life for the kingdom and pouring that into other students because he, myself, and other adults in his life had those I see in you types of conversations. And so who are the people in your context, in your ministry, in, in your church who need the I see in you conversations uh, from you? The third uh, essential practice of a multiplying leader, someone who moves from a hero to a hero maker, uh, this one's really easy for us, the disciple-making form, is disciple multiplying. But this one is a shift as a hero that says, I share what I've learned in ways that add more followers. And that's that kind of discipleship mindset where we want to shift to disciple-making. Discipleship is pulling a group of people around me where I get to share all the wonderful things that I've learned and all the, you know, wax eloquently, all these things that I know where a hero maker 
who practices disciple multiplying is I share what I've learned in ways that multiply disciples. And one of the things that's kind of wrecked my world a little bit is in this conversation of disciple making, um, that the, did you know that the word disciple is not in the Bible after Acts 21, but yet we're called to make disciples. And so as Paul took the gospel out beyond Jerusalem, he had to look for another metaphor uh, for this teaching someone to follow in the way of life uh, of like Jesus. And because the rabbi disciple metaphor or concept wasn't there. And so he looked around and he saw just how in the early church and in, in the first century, how uh, young boys and young girls were trained up in the household. And so it just, and you might know that in 1 Corinthians 4, it's a familiar passage to you where he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And therefore I send you Timothy. So he said, follow me. If you, follow, if you do what I do, you're going, to follow, you're going to do what Jesus did. And so I'm going to send you another guy to do that because I've done that with him. And so... This idea of disciple multiplying is people need us as hero makers not to be a perfect example, to be a living example where we will pull them arm in arm, shoulder in shoulder next to us, where they can truly imitate our life. Not just hear what we have to say as leaders or pastors, but that they can see our life. And that's the shift from as a hero maker that I share my life. So for multiplication thinking and permit and um you know, well, this one, if multiplication thinking, this one is when we're sharing our life. If it's that open-handed, like we're giving a gift. So the fourth essential practice is gift activating. Gift activating, and this says, as a hero, when I when I'm living as my own hero, I'm, I ask God to bless the use of my own gifts. But as a hero maker, a multiplying leader, I'm going to ask God to bless leaders I'm sending out. So it's not so much blessing God bless me, but bless those I'm sending out for your mission to make disciples where they live, work, study, and play. And um, so we see this in the Great Commission where Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. And so, but then he gives the commission to those disciples just like he does us. And so we have the opportunity to do that same thing. So the hero says, in this idea of blessing. So if gift activating is, um, you know, kind of that open-handed where we share or just share, blessing is that hand where we bless and send out. Yeah. We often, and you probably do this in your church, and we do in my church, you bring someone up, and we, we might anybody actually lay hands on, but what we do, we reach out and bless and pray for and send out. And so that is the posture that as a hero maker we want to live out is we want to bless others and send them out. As Todd was saying, when we begin to count our churches, not the people who are coming but are sending out. And so we want to bless them. And that kind of leads to this fifth practice of kingdom building. As a, as a hero maker, or as a hero says, I count people showing up to my thing. <laughs> and I, remember I had to repent and die to the... To the, to the desire for the big, to grow my thing big. And when God began to reorient my thinking again around disciple-making, it moved from the idea of a hero where I'm counting people showing up to my thing to, as a hero-maker, I'm going to count leaders who go out and do God's thing. And um, we know seek first His kingdom. As Jesus said, seek first Him and His kingdom in Matthew 6.33, and all these things will be added to you. And that is what um, 
a hero maker does. And so that's really what we have a heartbeat for is helping leaders be hero makers who begin to count differently and count from an aspect of multiplication and not addition. And so um, I just want to do this. I want to leave some time for questions just to process whether it's the, the, the level three magnet or the five levels of multiplication or what this looks. But I would just, um, just to take a second to pause and think through those five essentials. Can we, let me bring those five back up on the screen. And because these frameworks are so important, it's easy just to get information. One more back. There we go. And um, just to be able to use this framework as a diagnostic for your own leadership right now as you're pursuing a life of being a hero maker and a multiplying leader. Because, if you, again, if you want to lead a level four reproducing church, a level five multiplying church, have a disciple making at the core, it begins with you. And so as you look through that list, multiplication thinking, permission giving, disciple multiplying, gift activating, kingdom building. I do two things real quick. Is one, on a scale, or just look there and put a, what's the one that you see in your own life that you're living out, that you see God and his spirit uh, bringing fruit in your own life. So what's the one that you're, you're seeing fruit and energy and excitement um, in? And what's the one of those practices that you want to grow more in or that you want to step out of here and step out of the, your time at the forum and say, I need to put some more intentionality, um, some more thinking, some more practice, asking God's uh, help and grace um, in that practice. So take a minute to do that. So what's the one um, do you see God uh, the mo- producing the most fruit in that practice? And what's the one that you, need, you want to take intentional steps in to, be, to become more of a hero-making leader? Yeah, I should have mentioned in the beginning, I, I said if you go to the exponential.org forward slash ebooks, um, you have two options on the Hero Maker content uh, from book standpoint. Uh, there is a published book with HarperCollins that you can get. Um, on our website, there's a book called The Legacy of a Hero Maker, which is a free download, and it covers all the, the five shifts. Anyone here know who Bob Buford is, author of uh, Halftime, founder of Leadership Network? Bob is who inspired this book, actually. Um, Bob's, uh, and the book's dedicated to him. Bob... Uh, his main saying was, my fruit grows on other people's trees. He literally, um, I got the benefit of being mentored by him for about 14 years. Bob carried a wallet card that he'd pull out of his pocket with projects he's working on, but always had 10 leaders that he was investing in that he wanted a front row seat to. He made me keep a wallet card for all 14 years. So I continue to have a wallet card with, at this point, 12 leaders that uh, it's, hey, how can I help you? You know, my fruit grows on your trees. How do I help you with what you're, with what you're doing? So all of these five are actually rooted in that uh, my fruit grows on other people's trees. Or Bob also used uh, Home Depot's motto. Home Depot, um, you know, you can do it. How can I help? And I, I'm going to suggest to you that the, in the level three operating system, the, the mantra of the church is, we can do it, you can help us. Yeah. Um, and and, and there, there's a big difference between, yeah. you can do it, wow. how do we help you do yeah. it, 
versus we can do it, you can help. Um, our third workshop this afternoon is completely about that, the one we're going to do third this afternoon. That, that's the core of what we're going to be talking about. So, All right, we have like one or two minutes for questions. So any questions, comments? So if we're currently at 7% there, uh-huh. how long do you think it's going to take to get to that magical 16%? The Here's the thing. The good news in the church planting side is that the scorecard really is changing. Like, I'll give you a couple of good stats. Um, Ten years ago, we participated in a study uh, with Ed Stetzer to find the top 25 reproducing churches in America. We worked for six months, and it was painful to find 25. Um, And when you looked at the list of 25, it wasn't anything to write home about. We just, Outreach Magazine now, they have their annual list of the 100 biggest churches, fastest growing churches. We've fussed at them long enough that they're now, they've added 100 reproducing churches. So we've had the blessing of getting to go find the 100 reproducing churches. We had no problem finding 100 reproducing churches. In fact, we're now off to find 1,000 reproducing churches. So That's one part of the good news. The other part of the good news is a leadership network did a study last year that found that, um, is it 80%? 83%. 83% of pastors under 40 now have multiplication as a primary metric of success for the future. So that that is really good for the future. Now, here's the thing. Come back. Here's our problem. There is a reason that 0% of churches are multiplying. It's because we don't have disciple-making at the core. So here's what you can't miss. We can press the 7% number to 8%, 9%, 10% because most churches, my church has planted 280-some churches. We're level four. And we're level four because we do it programmatically. We don't have spontaneous church planting happening where people within the church are raising up through disciple-making to do it. We're very good at programming. We planted 280-some churches programmatically. And guess what? If the lead pastor and myself die today, and we're both here, so let's hope the building doesn't get hit, but we're, there's a good chance that in a couple of years our church isn't planting churches. That's right. Because it's not... It, one thing Ed Stetzer found on Level 5, um, we found a couple of individual churches that were pretty close... And Stetzer concluded in his book, Viral Churches, multiplication is ingrained so deeply in the DNA of these churches that you would actually have to put a strategy in place to stop it from happening. That's that's why if you really were going to draw this picture, level five is its own circle out here. It's, It's like one through four is kind of like the Android operating system and five is like iOS. It's a different operating system. It, it, I, I per, we're not publishing this. I personally don't think it's a linear progression to get to five. I think if you don't start at five in your DNA, you're going to have a hard... Our church is level four. I, I don't want us to blow up our operating system. I really don't want us to. I want us to do new expressions in the new things we're starting to try to start level five things. And at the same time, every... One percent, every one percent increase in that number means millions more people in heaven someday. Amen. So, like, we don't want to get stuck on it's just level five. It's like, let's get as many churches to level four as we can. 
even if it's programmatic. That's why I say I'm not against programs. Like, let's get them there if we, if we can. Anything else? I want to honor you guys' time, so we need to end. Right. One more. So, what if you're in the what if you're in the number one? I mean, you got a long road. Yeah, I should have mentioned that because the way we did it, we, actually, of this seven percent, some of the seven percents are one. Like, you got to think one, two, and three is the core of where you are. Right, it's just a core expression of where you are right now, but. This 7% is actually made up of some level 1 churches, some level 2 churches, some level 3 churches. Okay. Okay? Now, it's more of like a 2 to 1, you know, half of the 7% comes from level 3, and then it's, as you would expect, it's fewer in level 1 and 2. But absolutely, the, the church that I became a Christian in has never been more than 150 people. It's 50 years old now. And when you look at the level 4 activity, let me say this. Exponential would not exist if that little level one church that's never hadn't sent several people over time out that ended up getting involved in church planting things. So they were a level one church with a strong level four mindset. Am I confusing you at this point? Uh -huh. you, so, you, okay, you've. Let me. I'm sorry if I did. You've got to start with one, two, and three. That's why I said the basics of math, everything from a business to your life to a church, you can put in the core at level one, two, or three. It's adding, subtracting, or plateauing. Just, now, now think human reproduction. Not all people reproduce, even though they have the capability to. So what we've done with one, two, and three is said 100% of churches, we want to get what their core, are they subtracting, adding, or plateauing? Then, out of that 100%, what percentage shows level 4 and 5 behavior? So, that's why 1, 2, and 3 adds up to 100%. And then, out of that 100%, only 7% of that 100% of churches are actually have level 4 behaviors. So, I can, my church can be a, a level 1 but I can change, we can change our behavior. Let, let me tell you how, okay? People ask me this all the time. Any church in America, any church, I don't care how bad off <coughs> you are, can go back, and if somehow you can get your elders to vote to tithe to church planting, start, do the very thing we get up front and tell, we tell people, no matter what your financial situation is, are you going to give your first fruits to God? There is not a church in America right now that programmatically, by tithing to church planting, doesn't put themselves in the level four category. It's all a priority decision. Are we going to practice the very thing we preach to all of our people in our own churches? Think about it. Should a level one church not tithe its first fruits? What's the biblical basis to not tithe your first fruits? Okay. Now, we can get into the, well, everything's kind of our first fruits, but I'm going to suggest to you that the things that are beyond yourself, like beyond the operations inside the church, I would just challenge any church, one, two, or three, are you tithing your first fruits into church planting? It, it, we're one decision away in most churches from programmatically getting them to level four. And you hear the stories over and over again. I mean, the, the churches that do that all of a sudden start growing. It's like, it's kind of a weird thing. So obviously that's different from missions. Yes, different. Well, 
I'm not going to prescribe. It could be part of emissions too. Yeah, it could be part of foreign. It, yeah, I'm. I'm saying the tithing to what's beyond yourself. Yeah, which would be part of it. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. That's it for today's episode. Make sure to check out Winfield Bevin's ebook that we mentioned at the top of the episode by going to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Multiplied Disciples. Thanks for listening. Until next time.